Lunch with Pepper Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk, featuring Wendy Nola. Well, welcome to another edition of Consumer Talk. Wendy's with us in our Joburg studios today to lead a conversation about food labeling, everything from coffee to margarine and jam and tuna and much more. And then after half past two, it's an open line where you can call in with any consumer query. The number to dial is 021-446-0567, or you can leave a voice note on 072-567-1567. Wendy, great to have you with us. Good afternoon. Hello, Pippa. Nice to be with you. Now, if you are a savvy shopper, you might have noticed that some of the products that you've always bought have undergone some subtle name changes over the years. I'm talking about the ice cream that became a frozen dessert, the Burevors that suddenly became Brivors, or the Rickoffee, which isn't actually coffee any longer. Uh, these are changes not that have happened on a marketing whim, but rather because regulations are clamping down on labeling. Wendy, the field has really tightened up quite a bit in recent years, hasn't it? Absolutely. So there's a lot of science and regulation around the products that we South Africans consume every day. So, for example, what we used to refer to as margarine lost the right to be called marge quite a few years ago in most cases when new regulations were introduced stipulating that to be called a margarine, a product must contain at least 80% vegetable oil. So if the the content is less than that, the product must be called a spread. So you'll get medium fat spread, for example. Um, Most of them, I think you battle to find a margarine, actually. I haven't checked, but I don't think there are are any more. But nobody says, please pass the The medium fat spread. The medium (laughs) fat spread. it, it It was... um, instigated, of course, by the uh, skyrocketing price of oil. Yeah. Um, and so they obviously needed to use less of it, and so it was less oil, more water. Uh, they tried to say this was all in, an attempt to, you know, um, contribute to the um, obesity problem. But, um, yeah, it was uh, essentially a, a, um, a bottom line, a bottom it? line <laughs> issue. Yes, exactly. So these spreads having less oil content aren't as suitable for baking and frying. But, you know, they can claim to be less fattening. Um, and then ice cream. The word ice cream would um, suggest that there's actual cream in it. But um, most of the ice creams on sale in supermarkets don't have a drop of cream in them. So if the word ice cream on, an, on the label of, of what looks like ice cream doesn't have the word dairy in front of it, there's actually no cream in it. It rather instead has the less expensive vegetable fat. Um, wow. So there's that. Um, at one point, there was a, a lot of them became frozen dessert, but I think yes. the industry must have kicked back against that because now they can say ice cream, but they have to put a little thing there that says uh, with vegetable fat. Uh-huh. Um, and then, as you said in the intro, many other foods, fruit juice, Burevors is not burevors unless it has a certain amount of, of and, and content of meat, um, and that's why you see just plain vors and um, brivors, which some people would assume perhaps is just a quirky name, but actually it means it's less meaty. Yogurt tuna, nothing random about the descriptions: solid tuna versus tuna chunks, etc. They are forced to use those words by various bits of regulation. The problem is, Pippa, that most consumers don't have a clue about that. Absolutely. And what lies behind that description. Which is why we're going through some of the big ones today and we'll be talking shortly to an expert who can elaborate a little bit more on on why some of the regulations are there and and what they actually say. Of course, the thing that's brought it back into sort of the public arena recently is the the coffee issue. One of our long-standing coffee brands which might have to rethink its labelling and maybe even its own name because, Wendy, there's obviously been some, some move here by regulators to clamp down on this particular category. 
Yeah, their draft regulations. South Africa's Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, I will just say Department of Agriculture for short, has issued new draft regulations about what can be sold, labeled as coffee and what can't. And these regulations are open for comment until the end of this month. According to them, coffee must be just that. Neither ground coffee nor instant coffee may contain um, any flavoring or coloring under the draft regs. You have a product like Coffee Haze, which does have um, added these added things, which so it can't technically be called coffee. A coffee and chicory mixture can be up to half chicory, 50% of it, but it must still have a, a caffeine content of at least 0.6%. Instant coffee must have a caffeine content of uh, at least 2.25%. So instant coffee has got more of a kick than coffee and chicory mix. Um, nearly four times as much. Yeah. Neither Frisco nor Rick Coffee qualifies coffee under these new draft regs. Um, nor as coffee mixtures. Um, nor even as a coffee and chicory mixture. They contain only 25% coffee. Gosh. Um, yeah. Um, the current label on, on the standard tin of Frisco calls it original powder, which doesn't say very much. <laughs> and then in tiny letters at the bottom, creamy coffee taste. But if you look online, the retailers often do advertise it as instant coffee. So you can see some problems happening down the line. Mm. Um, Rick Coffee describes itself as uh, on the tins as coffee and chicory granules. Um, I'm not sure whether that will have to be – I would suspect that would have to be changed under the new regs. So, yeah, lots to digest there just with the coffee. Okay. Well, to help us understand some of these issues, we have a guest standing by who knows an awful lot more about this topic than we do because Gabby Jackson is a registered dietitian who works for FACTS, the Stellenbosch-based Food and Allergy Consulting and Testing Services. And she's actually not in Stellenbosch today. She's in Joburg where she's hosting a workshop for food manufacturers on how to find and then apply – uh, food labeling regulations. Gabby, we really appreciate your taking a break from that workshop to join us today. Thanks for, for being here. Thank you so much for letting me join you okay. for the afternoon. <laughs> I mean, the very fact that you're in Joburg doing a workshop for manufacturers themselves tells me it's probably as confusing for them as it is for the consumers. Part of the issue seems to be that the regulations are actually split between several different government departments. Um, can you give us an example? Gabby, I believe fruit juice is, is a good way to, to demonstrate this. Absolutely. So there are a couple of things that we need to consider when we look at the regulatory situation in South Africa. We have got beautiful regulations on paper, mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the best regulations in the world in actual fact, according to some experts. But um, it is very fragmented. We have got different government departments, primarily looking at the Department of Health, the Department of Agriculture, which Wendy has already mentioned, mm-hmm. and the Department of Trade and Industry. And each of those departments deal with slightly different aspects of labeling of foodstuffs um, in slightly different ways. They look at um, things like product names, what you can call them, what you can't call them. Sometimes they're compositional standards, which we look at. And the difficulty comes in whereby you cannot just look at one regulation in isolation and believe that by complying to that one regulation, you are compliant to everything. Because you may have a product which is a fruit-flavored, um, artificially sweetened, caffeinated beverage, and that, regula- that product has to comply with five different regulations. Wow. Okay. Minimum. And that's even excluding looking at things like um, the additives and contaminants and all sorts of other food safety aspects, which we also need to consider. So that is where the complexity comes in. 
And then obviously over and above that, we've got the Consumer Protection Act, which un- underpins everything and making sure that consumers know what they're getting and they are not being misled. Okay, so that, I mean, is the huge concern for consumers, is transparency, that when we buy something, we must be able to trust that what it says on the label is what we're going to get when we open the bottle or the can. Um, let, let's look at some concrete examples, uh, Gabby, of the, the kinds that confuse consumers. I mentioned the, the, the juice example at the start because, uh, I mean, I still don't understand it, and I've done several years of, of, of consumer stuff now with Wendy, and I stand there at the shelf and go what is actually in these things? Because over there it says 100% juice, but then the next line tells me it's a mix of orange and grape and, and, and. Uh, a lot of people feel overwhelmed by the different manners of describing the product. Can you give us some clarity on, on what those mean in the fruit juice range in particularly? Absolutely. Fruit juice is actually really nice in terms of the fact that the the function of the Department of Agriculture and, and the thought process is that they want it to be clear to the consumer that they know what they're getting. If they are paying for a fruit juice, that they are getting 100% fruit juice and they're not getting something which we would call a fruit-flavored drink. So we have different classes. The, the technical term is a different um, class mm-hmm. of fruit juice. And we've got fresh fruit juices. We've got unsweetened fruit juices. We've got uh, fruit nectars. We've got squashes. We've got drinks. And then we've obviously got the... Um, the range which is called the flavoured drinks. So that means that even products which do not have any of the actual fruit juice in still have to comply with and consider the um, regulation under the Department of Agriculture which looks at the labelling of fruit juices, which as a consumer is actually quite a promising um, aspect to consider because at least you know that you're not at risk of being misled. Mm. So we, if we look at fresh Juices, obviously fresh juice is fresh juice. It cannot have any additives in it. It has to be clean. It has to be safe. Um, It needs to be exactly what it is called on the label. Then if we look at our unsweetened juices, um, obviously no sugar being added to it. The one thing that consumers very often do find to be misleading is that certain fruit juices um, can actually legally contain permitted additives. That doesn't mean that they can have preservatives, but something like um, an acidifying agent or something which is going to maintain the integrity and the quality of the fruit juice is permitted in the product. Okay. While we're on the fruit juice, uh, one of our listeners messaging to say, what does reconstituted fruit juice mean? I see it on the label, but I don't really understand what it means. Good question. That's a a very good question and a very fair question. Um, Under the Department of Agriculture, you can actually concentrate a fruit juice so you essentially remove the water from the fruit juice and you can at a later stage re-add that water into the fruit juice and that is when it's going to become a reconstituted fruit juice so i when i was doing training the other day i said to the the um people in the room i said well you have to take it back to its former glory yeah you have to take it back to what it once was so the flavor needs to be the same the Department of Agriculture uses a measurement called the degree of bricks. Essentially, it's the, looking at the sugar content of the product, and it has to go back to what it would be if it was the original product before the water had been removed. So it can't be more diluted than what a fresh juice would be.
Okay. So and is it, that, sorry, talking about bricks, is it not the case that it's sweeter for that reconstitution? Are you saying it's identical as it would have been before they, they've, they concentrated it? Yes, absolutely. So you have to meet that, um, percentage or that quantity of sugar so that it is the same as what it would be if it okay. hadn't been, um, concentrated in the first place. Okay, so Gabby, just to be clear on my lunch run, when I want something that consists of the juice that ran out of the orange when it was squeezed and with nothing else added to it, I need to be looking for fresh juice. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Okay. Really important because the 100% juice claim, I think, misleads a lot of people. It is 100% juice, but it's not necessarily 100% all orange juice. It might have other kinds mixed in with it as well. So uh, it, it is a real minefield. You also mentioned the term fruit nectar. Where does that fit in? Fruit nectar is actually when we look at a product that has got other things being added into it. So specifically sugar, for example, um, being added into it. And a fruit nectar is a lower percentage of the actual fruit juice. And it depends on the type of specific fruit juice. So for orange, as an example, you have to have a minimum percentage of 50% um, orange juice, fresh, proper orange juice in that product. And then it can be topped up with water, with flavorings, with um, you can add a little bit of sugar to get that sweetness profile up so that it's more um, palatable for most consumers. But it has to meet that minimum percentage juice. So if you look from a um, typical consumer, we'll, we'll obviously link that to the quality of the product. A full 100% fresh juice, fruit juice, does not have anything added into it, does not have any water, does not have any sugar, nothing along those lines. An orange nectar or a fruit nectar will typically be slightly lower in price because of the fact that they'll take an, a concentrate. They'll add a little bit more water sometimes than just getting it back to its former glory, so to mm-hmm. speak, and then add certain other components to get the flavor profile um, palatable for the average consumer. Okay. A question in from Gary, going back to the coffee conversation, Gabby, and I know the coffee is still in draft phase, those regulations, but Gary's question is, why do people say Rickoffee doesn't contain coffee? According to the label, it's six and a half parts of chicory and five parts of coffee. So why could that not be called coffee? Um, Can you just explain again for Gary, in terms of those draft regulations, why that wouldn't meet the standard? Okay, um, I haven't... You need to remember that the draft is exactly that. It's the draft. It's open for comment. So I know that Wendy has already said that, but I'm just reiterating it because this is liable to change. But the reason why um, it's so contentious is because the draft actually indicates in order to call a product coffee, it has to have a certain amount of actual coffee as is defined in the regulation in the end product. So because of the fact that it's got more chicory than coffee in the product, it's not actually going to meet those minimum compositional requirements to be able to be called coffee. So it's the same thing if you think of a compositional requirement just to take it back to juice. If you've got a nectar which has only got 50% juice, you can't go off and call it a juice and not a nectar because it doesn't actually meet uh, the requirements to be a juice. It only meets yeah. the requirements so, to be a nectar. Yeah, the legislators obviously think that would be misleading to consumers, which is the whole idea for the label to tell consumers quite a bit about what's actually in the in the in the product in yeah. the tin in the in the jar. 
in the bottle, yeah. The problem is, though, Wendy, is, I mean, it's taking a conversation like this uh, with an expert like Gabby to help me understand what those those different terms mean. It doesn't actually mean anything to the average consumer who's confronted by a shelf full of orange juice, orange juice concentrate, orange nectar, uh, reconstituted yes, orange juice, and doesn't exactly. know the difference. I think, I think um, G- Gabby, just before we get to the news, they're, they also go for a lot of visual cues. So, for example, there are certain categories of of fruit drinks where they're not allowed to put pictures of the fruit on them, I believe. So that will sort of tend to give you an, uh, an indication that this maybe isn't all that fruity a product, for example. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. So your fruit juices and fruit nectars may, cont- may carry pictures of the actual fruit, but as soon as it's got less than that prescribed minimum percentage juice, so say, for example, an orange nectar, you need to have 50% juice, as soon as it goes lower than that, they can no longer actually put the picture of the fruit onto the product because the, the thinking behind it is, well, actually, you don't have enough of that fruit in the product and you don't want to mislead the consumer into thinking they're buying a fruit drink, which has only got, say, 6% of the actual fruit juice in it, is of the same quality of a fruit juice or even a fruit nectar. Yeah, but I think I, I get your point, Pippa. I think for most yeah. people, this is just you know, let's grab that orange stuff or that raspberry f- colored stuff, yeah. and it's juice. It's all just juice, you know. And I think the subtleties of how much juice in each of the definitions is, is, as you say, lost on most people. Yeah, I mean, I've had the experience of you know buying what I thought was hundred percent what came out the orange and getting home to open it up and finding it's that horrible artificial taste, exactly what I didn't want. Um, it's happened mm-hmm. to me so many times. So it's great, I think, Abby, that there is this move towards more um, more transparent labeling so that consumers don't have that experience of spending their hard-earned money on a product and getting home to discover that it's not what they thought it was. Uh, we're about to head into the half past two news headlines. Gabby, I'm mindful of the fact that you are on a timeline with your workshop. Are you <laughs> able to stay with us for five minutes after the news? I'm absolutely able to stay with you. That is fantastic news indeed. Thank you. So please stay with us. Gabby Jackson is a registered dietitian at FACTS, the uh, food and allergy testing lab in Stellenbosch, talking to us from Johannesburg, as is Wendy Nola. And the conversation around food labeling will continue after the half past two news headlines. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now. 021-446-0567. We've got several callers on the line relating to the issue of food labelling. Just a reminder that Wendy Nola is with us in the Joburg studios and we're also on the line uh, to a registered dietitian chatting to us about food labelling. Gabby Jackson works for FACTS, the Food and Allergy Consulting and Testing Services. We were talking about the coffee earlier and uh, uh, Beryl's on the line with a question or a comment about coffee. Good afternoon, Beryl. Hello. Um, yes. Um, no, I love coffee. I really love a good cup of coffee. And my doctors advise me not to have coffee because I've got to keep the caffeine low. But I've discovered Jacobs, uh, a lovely coffee, very mild. In fact, the, the labeling on it says Jacobs Gold, smooth and mild. And since uh, you've got this program, I went to go and get my packet to see, well, how much caffeine have I got in there? There's nothing. There's no, nothing about the contents. It's just 100% freeze-dried instant coffee, and the strength is two coffee beans. So uh, that doesn't really help me very much. The packet is still sealed, and um, I, would, I would honestly like to know just what's in the packet, but there's no indication of that at all. And I just wondered if Wendy could advise me what to do about that. 
That's very interesting, I think I'm going Carol. to throw that question in straight at Gabby. Gabby in yeah. terms of the requirements around um, declaration of caffeine content on labeling. Gabby, do you know? Well, currently, it's because of the fact that it's not defined, legally, unless you've got a, ca- a caffeine content which is greater than 150 milligrams per liter of final product, you don't actually have to indicate the total caffeine content on the label, which is where part of the kind of blurry, we have this uh, saying, we say it's part of the 50 shades of regulatory gray. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, it does sit in this gray area, and and it is exactly that. You know, as a consumer, we want to know that what we're getting, and consumers are becoming more and more aware of what they're getting. And you have, Beryl, 100% hit the nail on the head, you actually want to know what is in your coffee. And if it's not put onto your label, how are you supposed to know? And to be honest with you, I cannot answer that there is exactly a certain amount of caffeine in there because of the fact that the regulations do not currently require that it get included on the label on products such as coffee. Gabby, is that going to change with the new, if the draft regulations are, 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 are passed or is it not covered in those draft regulations? Um, as far as I am aware, it's not um, clearly identified in the draft regulations. I must admit that even with all of the hype, I've only vaguely glanced at the draft regulations, so I'm not 100% okay with them. Um, but it is something that we, we do hope um, is going to be covered in the draft regulations. Although caffeine would typically fall under the Department of Health and not the Department of Agriculture, so this is where we have the blurry lines of yes. which, you know, regulatory body we're looking at and why the regulatory system is so complex. Um, it is something to certainly consider and something to possibly put across as a comment to the Department of Agriculture whilst their um, draft regulation is open for comment. And Beryl, perhaps worth um, dropping an email or tweeting Jacobs to ask them directly. Uh, yeah. Um, mm. Just Google Jacobs you'd, Coffee. You easily find their website. It might be worth trying. Yeah. You'd think that caffeine being such a key component of coffee that there would be some obligation for the caffeine content to be stipulated, whatever it is, mm. you know, however much or little. If, you, if you're buying brands um, partly um, on the basis of caffeine content, if you have a, a slight intolerance or something um, and you don't want, necessarily want to go the full um, decaffeinated route, as a consumer service, that would seem to be yeah, you would <laughs> a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. We've got another uh, caller on the line. And, uh, Roger, I think your question or comment might be linked to this comment from somebody on the WhatsApp line who says, half the problem is that sometimes the lettering on labels is so small you need a magnifying glass to read it. It's not always easy to find the information, even if it is there. Roger in Newlands, good afternoon. I think you've got a similar query, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Thanks, Chippen. Thanks, Wendy. Um, just recently, I bought some um, soup mix from uh, uh, Pick and Pay and the beautiful packaging, uh, lovely uh, orange label with very finely written white letters which is a bad combination for starters. But um, secondly, they were so small that when I had the package under our lamp uh, and with a magnifying glass, I could hardly read it. Part of the problem is that when the... um, uh, when they do the, the draft or whatever they're called, it's beautifully printed. But when it goes into the printing process, there's a certain amount of bleed. So it becomes a little bit fuzzy. And I, I just wondered what the rules were with regard to 
um, legible instructions because it's quite critical. Imagine if that was something that was a little bit more um, uh, than than just the soup mix, uh, you know. And that was just my comment. I have I have actually taken this up with pick and pay but i haven't had a response from them was it one of their brand products roger or were you yes just it was, it was. Yeah, okay. no, no, it was one of their brand products okay. i'll listen on the radio okay roger thanks for your call i'll be intrigued to hear what the response is like i mean gabby uh, your, your response to those two complaints that uh, uh, often if the labeling is there it's it's not accessible to the customer so the regulations do actually state um, in R146, which is our basic regulation, all foodstuffs have to comply to. It falls under the Department of Health. And it is the regulations relating to labeling and advertising of foodstuffs. And that regulation says that the all typography, all lettering that is appears on any product label needs to be clearly legible, indelible, so it can't easily rub off. Um, it has to be in a in easy to understand language, which is covered in, under the Consumer Protection Act. And then R16, or the regulations relating to labeling, also state that you have to have that lettering in a minimum letter height of one millimeter. It is therefore the uh, um, manufacturer's responsibility to ensure that the end product label is still clearly legible, because that is what the regulations actually require. There is a draft regulation relating to labeling and advertising of foodstuffs. It has been in draft format for five and a half years. We are really hoping that it gets published soon. But if that draft goes through, it is proposing that the minimum letter height be increased to 1.3 millimeters in height because of this exact reason. Things like bleed on the, on the printers. Mm. Um, obviously, when you, in your 20s, it's quite easy to read something lettering that's at one millimeter in height. But to read white text on a yellow background when you are maybe um, in your 80s, for example, is far more difficult. Mm. And that is something that is really important. And and we implore with um, clients who come to us, we always say to them, make sure that this is clearly legible. If there's a letter color that maybe isn't clear to the consumer or might not be clear, then change that color because there is actually a better color and legally you are bound to ensure legibility of your labeling. Well, let me tell you, it's not only a problem for those in their 80s, it's tough to in the say. 40s as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I agree with Roger, that that small white lettering, you can't but think that they really don't want you to read what they've put there. And I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. imagine what's so, um, what they'd want to hide in a, in a mm-hmm. pack of soup mix. But still, it just surely when it goes for... For approval, someone who, uh, over the age of 25 might say, um, not a good combo, this <laughs> yeah, white on yeah. orange. I mean, the same, uh, I've, I saw the same thing this morning on a, a blueberry tub from Woolies, Wendy, where the, the recyclability information was sort of this faint print on the bottom inside of the label, inside the lid of the tub. And, and you know, it might as well not have been there. You had yeah. to actively go and look for it. And even if you went looking for it, it was difficult to read. That's kind of defeating the object of, of it being legible and clear for the co- consumer. Okay, but before we let you go, Gabby, I have to ask, because somebody's asked me on the SMS line, jam versus jelly. Now, this is something I grappled with as a child living in America for a year or two because they <laughs> do it differently over there. But in South Africa, it's become a thing of late. What do the regulations say on what can be called jam? So there is actually quite a distinct difference between what a jam is and what a jelly is. And again, it's one of those regulations that falls under the Department of Agriculture. 
And they actually say that a jam needs to consist of whole fruit. So you actually oh. have to have pieces of fruit or the fruit pulp or fruit puree in a jam. Yeah. Whereas a jelly can be either the juice or any extracts of the fruit. So you don't have to have the actual fruit in a, in a jelly, but you do have to have the actual fruit in a jam. It used to be whole okay. fruit apricot and smooth apricot jam. Um, is it just a, a new way of describing those, really? No. So no. if you consider something like a cranberry jelly, for example, oh. which you use, you know, Christmas is around the corner, you're yes. mentioning Christmas decorations. Um, cranberry jelly, you'll see it's quite clear in color. Um, it doesn't typically have any particulars or any bits of fruit in it, where a cranberry jam will have, it might not necessarily have whole pieces of fruit or chunks of fruit, but it will be a thicker consistency. And then it is made out of cranberries and not just um, the juice or the um, extract of the cranberry. Okay. Okay. So a jelly can, is a much sort of um, cheaper, for want of a better word, a version of a, of a jam and that it can be made a lot more cheaply with either fruit or no fruit, just sort of water, sugar and, and flavorants. Absolutely, or with okay. the, the extract, not necessarily flavouring. Okay. Okay, Thanks. we do have to go to a break, and I know Gabby is on uh, on a timeline. So, Gabby, we're going to say thank you so much to you for joining us this afternoon. Wendy and I will carry on chatting, chatting about one or two more examples after the break. But Gabby Jackson, registered dietitian at Facts, really appreciated your time this afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. WhatsApp 72 567 we continue talking food labeling with Wendy Nola. Sue sent us an SMS asking, what's the difference between raw cacao and ordinary cocoa? Sue, I had to look it up myself, but I know now I can tell you from my, my Google search that it's to do with the heating of the product. Cocoa uh, is raw cacao that has been roasted at quite high temperatures. So uh, heat has been applied to the raw cacao to bring it to the form of cocoa as you get in cocoa powder. Uh, Same story with honey. Not. Actually, okay, tell us raw. It hasn't been yeah. heated. Oh, that's about as much as I can tell you. Okay. It, it, it hasn't been uh, heat treated at all. So the purest want honey as a, in as natural a state as possible. So is, that's is raw. Hence okay. the word raw, yeah. Uh, when, I mean, we can go on and on, Wendy. Another great example is the Buravors versus Brivors debate. Yes. Uh, Brivors is not just a, a cheap alternative to Buravors. It's, it's often a completely different kind of product, isn't it? It's, yeah, and it is, it is cheaper to make. And um, so you're not just, if you see Brivors and it's a good price, it's not, um, at a, at a at a bargain, it is um, it's a different thing. So in time for Heritage Day, by mm-hmm. law, Borovos must have a meat content, that's beef with lamb, pork, or a mixture of the two of no less than 90%, so a really meaty product, and a fat content of no more than 30%. I don't know how those work out, but that's what the regulations say. It may not contain any offal except in the casing and absolutely no mechanically recovered meat. Um, and um, it can only have you know permitted additives, um, vinegar, spice, herbs, etc. Brivos, on the other hand, um, is, is a lot me- less meaty. It um, may contain up to 40% soya, which is what the industry calls an extension because it's a hell of a lot cheaper than meat. So if you want the best vorse, go for the burra vorse and the plain old vorse or bry vorse. Or, um, that, is a, that is not burra vorse. That is a, a cheaper um, extended product. It's got mm-hmm. soya in there instead of meat. So that's the difference. I think a lot of people 
um, haven't realized that and just thought, you know, thought great the terms are interchangeable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to, to ask, Wendy, I know you've done a little bit of reading into this. It's, this is not only uh, something that's regulated when it comes to human foods. Pet food is also included in the regulations. Yes. So I was fascinated to discover this. It's called Act, Act 36. It pertains to um, pet food. And, well, I don't think... Um, Many consumers who buy these packs of or tins of of uh, pet food realize just how little meat there is in there. But um, so the the descriptions on the packs or the tins um, have very specific meaning. So if the cheapest form will say whatever chunks with, for example, chicken flavor, and that means. Um, that it has to be up to 4% chicken, which is not Not a lot. much at all, yeah. Yeah. Um, so with chicken is at least 4% chicken, so you're getting more. So I think just that that chicken flavor versus with chicken is a big difference. So chicken flavor is going to have very, very little actual meat content, and then with chicken must have at least 4%, and then upwards it can, it can go up to, I don't know, 20-something percent, but it's – I mean, I don't think many people looking at those packs would realize that there was a distinction and what it, what the distinction actually is. And then you get other ones, high or rich and with extra chicken is at least 14% chicken, chicken dinner, chicken recipe or chicken menu, at least 26% chicken, all chicken. I don't think I've ever seen that. No. At least 65% chicken, etc. But I think the big distinction on the mass produced packs is uh, flavor versus as in chicken flavor versus um, with chicken. Yeah. Big, dis- big difference there. Because if it says with chicken flavor, know that you're buying a product that contains less than 4% actual more, chicken. More. With chicken means more than. And with than, with chicken, but with chicken yeah, flavor is flavor, less yes, than 4%. Less than, yeah. yeah. So it's minuscule. Okay. minuscule. Thanks. Important for the, for the pet owners to know that. I think we can squeeze in a voice note before we're out of time. Hi, Wendy. It's uh, Marika here from Stellenbosch. I'm just running with regards to the Bryvors Buravors discussion. Um, when you're saying that Buravors has to contain 90% meat um, and no more than 30% fat, it means that the fat is actually reckoned as part of meat. So uh. if you're saying it's got to contain 90% meat, um, there's a certain percentage of that, no more than 30% of the total uh, which can be fat. Okay. I hope that makes sense. It does, America. Absolutely Thank you. does. Because as I was reading it for the first time, and I've written it a few times, I thought, the maths doesn't add that up to 120% I know it's right. content. I know it's right, but of course what Marika says makes absolute sense because there's, it's about the fat content of, of the meat of primarily. Meat, when yes. you think that 90% of the content is... Um, is meat. It's about the fat content of the meat. So thank you very much for that. I always doubt my maths. <laughs> thank occasions. you for the clarity, Marika. One last thing to mention is the difference between a tuna chunk and solid I tuna, love Wendy. This. I love this. So we, yeah. all, we all know what shredded tuna looks like and what it is. It's the cheapest form usually and it's it's very shredded um, and you can't, doesn't look great in a salad nissoise, for example. Yeah. Um, but there's uh, these tuna descriptions are regulated by the National Regulator of Compulsory Standards. And again, Nothing but ran- anything but random. So tuna chunks 
No more than 30% of the drained contents can be pieces of less than 12 millimeters. This is how regulated it is. And solid tuna can't have any more than 18, 1-8% of those free flakes. So your solid tuna is, is a lot, is a higher quality product than your tuna chunks and often on sale in supermarkets at the same price. So yeah. now I always buy solid tuna if I can, if it's not at a premium price because I know the definition and that's one that's really helped me personally over the years in buying that product. And I mean, how many people know the difference between tuna chunks and solid tuna? And I often thought, why use the two names? To me, it said the same thing. It's yeah. either shredded or it's chunks, you know, and they, that's the difference. That is the reasoning. Okay. Yeah. Wendy, thanks. If nothing else, I hope we've made people a little bit more mindful of asking questions about what those labels actually signify. And uh, if they don't understand about putting pressure on uh, the producers to make it clear to us, thank you so much uh, for informing our shopping and making sure we're going to buy what we think we're buying and not be disappointed when we get home and open it, Wendy. Yes, and I hope to bring you some more news about the caffeine content of Coffee. I'm going to start asking some questions around that. So, thank you so a, much. As it should be continued. Thanks, Pippa. All right. Have a great, uh, great afternoon. Wendy Nola back with us next Wednesday. And remember, if you've got a question for her, you can direct it to consumer at nola.co.za. K N O W L E R.